1: Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. It is Sunday mornings. That means it is the day after. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. The day after comes Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. Again, my name is Tommy Ashley. Again, cannot overhype Johnny T-shirt and Johnny T-shirt.com. I pause for a moment in reflection before I go to Buck Sanders to think how many times over the course of doing these podcasts, Buck, and going to Carolina football games, that this feeling, uh, this discussion. This everything about the day after podcast we're about to do sounds and feels so familiar, Buck. you've been here. We talked about it off air. Let's get into it on air. Carolina falls to a Florida state team. They were favored by 17 points at home. Can't happen. Just can't happen.
2: But yeah, we talked about it off air and it's almost as if they made a new star Wars movie where the uh, rebels shoot down the death star, um, It's that familiar to us by now. So what are you going to say? And, and the thing for me, and one of the things I looked at in my column this morning, um, is that in North Carolina's, uh, wins, uh, the defense has held the opposing team to 21 points per game on average in their losses all of which came to against teams that they were favored by at least seven. And in some cases, 17, they gave up 32.6 points per game. Something is going on there. I mean, that that's a, qualifies as a trend when you're giving up nearly two touchdowns more uh, to opponents where you're heavily favored to win. Uh, in your losses than you are in your wins i mean that's a big differential why that is um you know these are 18 19 20 21 year old kids 21 year olds 20 year olds okay they're a man but um these are young men let's put it that way and in some cases snakes get all inside their head um and bad things happen why this happens to north carolina over and over and over again like you and i were talking all off air you know, 40 years ago you could say the same thing was happening at unc um so how to explain it i don't don't look at me i don't know i mean i've probably uh yanked most of my hair out enough to be bald as you and jason um but, uh, well, Jason claims not to be bald and I do see a little growth on top of his head there. Right. Yeah. On two weeks? Not here. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but how do I, how do I explain it? I really don't. I know that North Carolina didn't play with the same amount of energy as Florida state did. Uh, and they didn't play with the same amount of energy as Virginia tech or Georgia tech. And that's how you explain it. But why, why is it? North Carolina can come out at home against a team they're favored by 17 and just act like they don't want to be there it's it's just hard to explain
1: yeah and that's the difficulty in doing these podcasts and I know a lot of people um you know get mad when folks say you know, angry tweeting and angry social media after games is is not a good thing never is um but The truth is what the truth is, you know, when you're talking, Buck, I'm starting to think Carolina football is what it is, and maybe we should just accept it. But Jason, I don't think that's the way it should be. I mean, this team is better than they're playing or are they? And, And that is the that is the big question for me for this podcast that I'm searching for is Mac talked about the media screwed up expectations. I know somewhat in tongue in cheek, but. I watched them in an Orange Bowl game play left-handed with one bullet in the chamber and almost beat a Texas A&M team that just beat Alabama yesterday and looked impressive doing it. And then the hype train comes out, rightfully so. There's no team in America that wouldn't have wanted 21 of 22 starters back from a team that looked that way in the Orange Bowl. And here we are, three and three. Uh, Just bad loss after bad loss after bad loss, Jason. Overall, your thoughts on what's going on here, and then we'll sort of dig down into individual things because, good Lord, there was plenty, plenty to chew on yesterday against Florida State.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) the thing about what we saw and what we've seen so far this year uh, reminds me a little bit of the Bill Parcells quote. It says, you are what your record says you are. And at this point, it, it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear that this has not been North Carolina losing to inferior teams. You don't get outplayed that thoroughly in multiple games by teams that are allegedly inferior to you if you're the better team, if you're, if you're better than those teams. So, you know, Virginia Tech, that was a that was a close game. And they were they were in that game, fought to the end, just came out, came out and didn't didn't win the game, didn't execute well enough to win the game. This this game and the Georgia Tech game, they there wasn't a whole lot of doubt in either second half of who was gonna win. I mean, from about the second drive of the third quarter when Florida State was able to answer the the first score. Of the, of, the, uh, of the half, because Carolina came out and, and scored right away, and then Florida State was able to answer. From that point forward, I don't think there was a whole lot of doubt about the outcome of this game. And that was the same way, that was the same against Georgia Tech. Those two, t- those two games, basically, it, it dominated, or it, or it, or those two teams dominated North Carolina, particularly in the second half, and it just looked like Carolina had no answers and yeah that's that that to me indicates what you said this carolina team is what their what their record says they are now the the flip side of that is i i completely agree with you that there that that there is no excuse for this team to be where they are they should not be a 3 and 3 team they should not be a team that is getting dominated by Georgia tech. And by this Florida state team, that's, it's just not what this team should be, but it's who they are. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And there are a lot of things that are showing up that aren't pretty right now. And, you know, we're talking the good, the bad, and the ugly in this podcast, the good part might be what five minutes. And then the bad 20 minutes and the ugly, how long do we have? I mean, I've, I've got an appointment in about two and a half hours, but there, there was a lot of ugly in this game. And, again i it, it's it's a team that is not what they were hoped to be it's not what they should be right now that the the sum of the parts is less than the parts and that's not that's not how things should be you want the sum to be greater than the than the parts and right now that's not what we're seeing
1: yeah i think that's a great point i think par hill on the message boards and he what i think i saw said something similar that um, it's not a team. It's just a bunch of parts doing their thing. And Buck, one of the big things when I've coached my low level, but I got it from other coaches that coach high level, is you get what you allow. And if you <laughs> no, allow, that,
0: it. that's that's my favorite quote for coaching, or one of my four or five.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what I'm seeing here. Now I hesitate to jumpy all in on players themselves. Uh, I mean, there's some instances where it's players and not making tackles and all this, but ultimately it's the coaches that coach them. It's the coaches that recruit them. It's the culture in the program. And we talked about just a second ago. It seems like it's always an issue at Carolina, but Buck, this is a... How many penalties did they have against Florida State? Twelve, I think. Something like that. The most since 18 or something. I mean, just mistake after mistake and then you pile on mind-blowing coaching decisions I mean you're down 18 we can discuss this but you kick a field goal whether you score a touchdown there or not you're still down two scores you kick I mean that is a no-brainer or should be a no-brainer in my mind Buck, I think I've said it after Georgia Tech the grown-ups in the room need to get it together one way or another, or somebody needs to go find something else to do because it is not working here in Chapel Hill. I put you on the spot with that question, Buck, but what's your take on all that?
2: Well, uh, we would have to agree to disagree on that field goal situation. But, I mean, that's, that's the least of their problems. And the uh, 12 penalties, again, if the penalties had been even, if they'd have both had five, Florida State still outplayed North Carolina. I mean, uh, people raving about the uh, referees. It wouldn't have mattered who refereed that game. You could pick um, three UNC students to referee that game, and UNC still would have lost because they were just getting outplayed.
0: Might have been Uh, better officiated in certain areas, though.
2: That's true. Uh, But we can talk, you know, we don't have to talk about that here on the podcast, but still for me, I think, I think the answer, uh, to some of these problems is, uh, you know, we could talk about coaching specific things. And I think that's probably on the agenda for the, during this podcast, but what, what I, what kills me is just to see players that, uh, their body language is just screaming that, wow, you know, I'd I'd rather be anywhere, but right here and, and why that is who knows, uh, I I think there's several things we can point to and, and say, well, we know that they need more than one receiver to step up and Josh downs did not have a perfect game yesterday. He had the best game among the receivers, but. Still, drop two, and according to Jason, three balls. Um, and but he's it when it comes to wide receivers. Chafey Brown dropping another, and that w- that would have been six had he caught that ball. Um, other, no other wide receiver for UNC stepping up and providing any reason for a secondary not to bracket downs or, or be able to, you know, make sure that. Every catch he makes is, is one that he gets because of Supreme effort. So there's that. And then there's the offensive line, which didn't give up a sack, but they also didn't create a lot of holes for the offensive line. The North Carolina did get, have a higher per carry average than Florida state. Uh, they had more yards than Florida state. Uh, they had more first downs by seven, I think than Florida state. Um, so the the offense as poorly as it played, the numbers were right there with Florida state. Um, for me, the answer is that the defense for whatever reason has just not been able to, especially almost, especially against teams where they're, they're favorite to beat, to get off the field and to make plays and, and to look like the players that individually they were recruited to North Carolina to be. Um, so that's where I'll leave it with you there.
1: Jason, um, reading the message boards and a former podcast guest has an interesting thread on the premium message board. Um, I'll let folks go read it for themselves, but l- let me ask you a question about this team, this performance. Is there an ego problem? or issue with this team across the board, not just players, not just, uh, coaches, or is that maybe reading too much into it because I see guys doing what they want to do. I see, uh, coaches doing the same thing that hasn't worked previously. Um, or is it just some weird confluence of events? I think I use that in the pregame podcast or pregame show. I mean, what is going on specifically on the defense, or is it just guys not being able to um, execute what the coaches are putting in front of them? And I have an opinion about where that issue lies as well. But I'll let you comment on the ego issue.
0: Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. I mean, I think it depends on how you define ego. Um, so I would say the problem is less ego than it is going back to the, the one of my favorite quotes that you you already brought into this of you, you get what you tolerate. And there's a, there seems to me right now to be a lack of accountability in terms of both sides of the ball. I think you see it more on the defensive side right now, but I'll, I'll say this. We've we've kind of hit on the, the the defensive side so far in terms of the, the comments and all that. But I think ultimately the the offense is as is at least as responsible for this loss as the defense. Now, Florida State has not been great on offense all year, but that was the first time that they've had their, you know, five the five offensive linemen or five offensive linemen in the spots that they, you know, ultimately feel like they've got five guys that could play and and they looked better there. And you know, they they got healthy for this game and you could see a difference. So you know, better team offensively than they've been. But you shouldn't be giving up 35 to that group. I think that's, we, we can agree on that. But you also shouldn't be scoring 10 points in the first half and 25 for the, for the, for the game total and then spending, what, six minutes on a, on, a, uh, on a drive when you're down three scores in the fourth quarter. <laughs> uh, it, just bizarre le- lack of, of, um, of urgency that was shown there. All of these things, it's it's a there's a lack of accountability that you can see across the board. Uh, but going back to the defensive side, I think what you're seeing is you're seeing too many busts. So. The, the schemes are sound. There, there's no question about that. The calls and, and you know I've showed this all year in terms of, of film uh, film breakdowns, the calls are sound. They, they're putting guys in position where if you, just, if you just have guys do their job, they make plays and you get tackles for loss instead of 50-yard touchdowns. We've seen that over and over again. That said, when you see over and over and over again guys not making those plays and guys being out of position and some of the lack of communication and some of the other things that you're seeing – that tells me that there's that accountability problem that tells me that you're not, you're not requiring, you're not doing what's necessary to get your guys to execute in those areas. And I don't think this is a situation where guys are not capable of executing. In some cases you've got young guys. Yeah. And you're going to expect some mistakes, no doubt, but when it's a fifth year senior, who's making those mistakes and he's made those mistakes in the past and he's still making those mistakes then it's it's you can't plead youth at that point and there are too many times right now where safeties and corners are not in the same coverage guys are making checks without communicating you've got uh you know i i got a a message from someone not on the on not on the coaching staff not one of the players but someone with very good knowledge of what's going on right now uh late late last night that said basically you've got you've got guys right now on the defense who are freelancing that are not doing that that they're they're basically making checks on their own when the rest of the defense doesn't necessarily know what they're supposed to be what, what that guy's doing and then you have safeties who are not getting the calls to, their, to the corners and communicating quickly enough based on formation. You've got all sorts of things that are, that are being permitted right now. And ultimately, you've got to get that stuff taken care of. You've got to get that stuff stopped because the most important thing on any defense is making sure that everybody's on the same page to do, to do their job within whatever the call is because any call can win. But what you can't have is uh, is ten guys doing doing one playing one defense and one playing something else, nine guys doing their job and two guys doing whatever, and that's what keeps happening right now. And that you know, the bench can be a real motivator in that case. Sometimes that's what's needed. In other cases, there are other things that need to be done there. But there needs to be accountability there in order for that to happen. I don't think on the coaching end that, that on the defensive side, that's an ego thing. I think maybe with some players who, who think that they, they can just make the, make this check on their own or something. Maybe if, if I want to look at, at where ego falls in, I would say more on the other side of the ball there. I think, like I said, the accountability issue is more what, what I see on defense. I do think that there's some ego that I'm seeing on the offensive side of the ball. That's, that's stepping in the way of, of uh, execution and handling what the personnel should be able to do on the offensive side, but that's, we'll, we'll, we'll wait for a little bit longer, uh, a little bit later to talk about that.
1: Yeah. Let's, uh, I do hundred percent want to come back to that because um, you guys are right. I mean, uh, the offense just, yeah. uh, Buck on the ego and accountability on the defensive side. I guess my question is, is if you get what you tolerate or get what you allow, why does it continue to be allowed? From the top down, I mean, six games in, halfway through the season, three and three. Uh, I would wager that the two of the three losses um, outweigh any positives on the season. So, Buck, defensive side of the ball. I mean, did I, did I really see Clyde Pender drop in the coverage? People keep talking about that. I totally missed that watching the game live. Uh, yeah, he did. Mm. But your take on what Jason was talking about, the question I asked, I mean, where, where is the accountability and where does it, you know, you write the buck stops here column, <laughs> where does it stop in that Keenan football
2: center? That's a good question, Tommy. And, and I'm not sure I've got the great answer for it, but where I keep coming back to individually, they've got more talent on this defense than they've had on a UNC defense since Butch Davis was coaching at UNC. Uh, if either of you dispute that nod your head and, and correct me on that. But, uh, you know, they've got players, uh, like Conley and like miles Murphy, Tony Grimes, um, different players that are dudes. I mean, they're, they're dudes that. Fedora never had really on defense, um, individually, uh, as players brought into the program to fit a specific piece of, uh, Bateman's defense in the last three years and some that fit in anyway, they were brought in before that. It's just hard for me to imagine why, as you're referring to Parhill why collectively they're not at least as good as the sum of their parts, but they're not somehow. And, uh, you, you're not seeing any one area uh, at at any level of the defense that you could say, well, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that, that particular unit that they're okay. I can focus my attention here on, you know, the safeties or, you know, the inside linebacker spot and players like Cedric Gray come along and he's been a real breath of fresh air, uh, to the defense. Still, they can't all seem to get on the same page when they're playing defense. And as Jason's talking about, yeah, that's important, but my opinion has always been that if you, ha- if you get three defensive players to win their position battle, to win, you got a chance to make the play and win the rep. If you get three guys, four guys on defense to make a play, you got a chance to win that rep. If the DE the gets in, beats his guy, makes a tackle, that's one guy that made some play and you've won the rep regardless of what anybody else was doing and, but for whatever reason, they're not getting that in most cases, sometimes they get it most cases they are not and how to fix that again, you know, I wish I was that guy that could figure that out, but that's not me. Jason,
1: give me some positives on the defense from yesterday and then Give me your suggestions or your ideas on how to correct this train that is uh, currently sliding off the tracks on this side of the ball.
0: Yeah. Um, some positives. Well, I mean, I think Miles Murphy continues to play, play well overall. Uh, I think you've got, you know, Grimes, I thought, in terms of, of what he was able to do in, in coverage really didn't get picked on. Um, You know, I I think Conley continues to be a a really good player over there. And uh, he missed a couple uh, in terms of angles and things. But uh, overall, I thought he played well. You know, there's there's not a whole lot that I'm looking at defensively and going, yeah, you know, I feel real good about that. I, I thought also, you know, the edges in general, I thought played better in this game than they have. I mean, even though Florida State won a bunch on the edge in terms of um, the quarterback run game. It wasn't because of the the defensive ends or the outside linebackers, as they like to call them. Uh, you know, I thought Rucker, Collins, Fox, those guys all played pretty well. I mean, I, I thought they did their job reasonably well. I mean, could tackle a little better, but uh, and I thought Ritzy played well. So you know, that's basically where I wind up in terms in terms of positives. But there's there's not a whole lot on that side of the ball that I'm pointing to and going, all right, yeah, you feel, you feel good after looking at that yesterday. You don't look at that defensive performance yesterday and go, yeah, I feel good about a whole lot.
1: So any, any, is there any change that can be made in like now, like in midstream because I mean, get everybody on the same page communication gets better. I think it looks a ton better. Um, but six games in same issues are going on. I mean, what is the saving grace that this can get better? I mean, Miami's going to come in and depending on what quarterback plays, they're going to try to do the same thing uh, to Carolina.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think for, there's not really an obvious change that you can make. I mean, I know there's going to be people who are going, Oh, you know, play the young guys. They're already playing a bunch of young guys. First of all, secondly, the, the guys that you would want to, that that they have younger players to step in and, and, and and play. Those guys are not, not really going to be an upgrade on what they have at present in terms of overall execution. You're going to get a little worse. So, you know, and some of those guys aren't ready to the point where, you know, you you probably don't want to play them at this stage because they're just not you're not going to help their development. Um, And again, one of the things this is actually worth taking a moment for, One of the ways that you get a lack of accountability in a program is by young guys playing too early before they've actually earned their way on the field. And I know that sounds a little odd, but if you think about this, if you can just walk out on the, if if you're just a talented guy and all of a sudden you get put out on the field because you're talented, and you're not because you're doing things right in practice, not because you're actually showing the habits that are necessary to play and all of those things, then you think you can, you can do that the rest of your career. You have to establish early on with young guys, with young, talented guys, what's necessary to get on the field and and make sure that they earn their way onto the field so that their development in terms of habits and all of those things necessary to be able to play are developed. Now, of course, you want your older guys to set that example first, but that's an important thing. But in terms of making changes for this week or for, you know, at this point in the year, there's really not a whole lot of changes to make other than accountability. To me, it's accountability, communication, and then I might run <laughs> over, over the next week, I might run so many pursuit drills and working on angles in practice that that my defense would puke repeatedly on the field. Because that's something that, in addition to the communication issues, in addition to some of the just straight accountability issues, continues to be a problem. Where you see guys not taking great angles, winding up in a a little bit worse position to make a tackle, missing a tackle, and then, or or losing a one-on-one in space, And then it turns into a big play, turns into a third down conversion. It turns into a, into a touchdown. They need to tighten up the run fits and make sure that guys are taking good angles. I mean, you think about a a critical play in this game is you've got a, you've got a corner blitz from the short side who comes absolutely free, right? You got Grimes coming straight downhill corner blitz. He has, Uh, Jordan Travis, Florida State quarterback, dead to rights, right in his sights. Nobody touches him. He doesn't get within three yards of him. Travis made him miss so badly, he wasn't even within three yards. And at a certain point, you got to say, okay, look, we got to start figuring out as a team, because this is something that you're seeing as a team. It's not just Grimes. It's not just, uh, you know, the, the safeties. It's not just a backer. It's not you keep seeing guys over and over again being in situations where they've got a ball carrier dead to rights. I mean, you think back to the, uh, to the, to one of the long Sims runs where he had uh, Eugene Asante had him right in his sights, could have made, could have made an open field tackle there. And all of a sudden he gets shaken so badly. I'm pretty sure he's still dropping laundry and you look at those situations and you've got to make those tackles in those situations to be a good defense. And if you're not going to make the tackle, you have to get a hand on him. you got to slow him down. you got to make sure that he's fighting through it. You can't be in open field situations and not get a hand on a guy. And so that's the other thing that that you've got to really find a way to fix in, in, in practice. You've got to find some drills. You've got to find repetitions enough to put guys in one-on-one situations so that you know that they're going to continually and consistently get their angles right, throttle down correctly, and not get shaken out of their boots and their, their pants and everything else uh, when, they're, when they're in those one-on-ones. Because you just change some of those plays and all of a sudden the defense looks worlds different. Fix the accountability, fix the communication, and fix the angles and, and discipline when it comes to open field type stuff, when it comes to, to run fits, And all of a sudden the defense changes overnight. It's, it's real simple. The problem is that it's not as simple as we'll call different plays or play different players. We all wish it was that because that's easy. I mean, that's just, you know, changing things on Madden, like, okay, well, I'll call a different play and now my guys will be better. It's not that. You've got to get guys to actually do their jobs. And that's going to, that's harder to fix but those are the three fixes that really need to be made. And, you know, really fix one is kind of the overarching one that covers the other two. Fix those things and everything changes overnight.
1: Let's uh, talk about Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Uh, they are mm. great friends of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina. Uh, fun time to visit them on Franklin Street if you're in town. Little, you know, a little wet yesterday. Um, so not a ton of folks on Franklin Street, but you can always check them out online at their JohnnyTshirt Visit them, uh, support them. They support this Inside Carolina podcast. They support you if you're a premium member. And whoo, this might be a good week to be a premium member. If you're not, because it's going to be hot on the Tar Pit premium message boards, and of course, basketball season's coming around as well. Going to have a lot of content there. Ten uh, percent off if you're premium rate us review us subscribe on these i've told folks if you want to get in on the youtube channel you need to subscribe there it comes straight to your alerts and lets you know when we're live we'll be live on tuesday night again national guys will pay the bills right here we'll be right back with more date after
3: hey guys this is ross martin from inside carolina i want to talk to you about inside carolina's new podcast sponsor It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awakening flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish, and it eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, a little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light, it's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned. And it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka.
1: All right, it's the day after podcast, johnnytshirt.com. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Buck, let's let's get on this offensive side because Jason hinted that we need to, to discuss the offensive side of the ball as well, so let's do it. I thought, uh, I, I mentioned it earlier, Josh Downs, I think Sam Howell threw the ball 31 times. Is that what he did? And he targeted Downs on 15 of them. Downs makes nine catches, two or three drops, depending... I understand why he continues to go to downs. Uh, I do not understand how there's not some sort of way to scheme open other guys, even though Chaffrey Brown's touchdown drop was maybe scared it off. Uh, I don't know. But your take on how the offense played, um, 25 points is not enough, period, against the Florida State team. It's not enough in college football
2: these days. So wherein lies the problem here? Well, to go back to your theme of, uh, good, bad, and ugly, um, I am going to start with something good. You know, the Vipolis has, uh, Taylor Vipolis has a podcast to be on tomorrow. I think, um, uh, always has a offensive line, our offensive line guy, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson, our defensive line guys has a segment. Uh, that's basically say something positive, say something nice. Well, what I would say nice about the offense is that I thought DJ Jones looked pretty good yesterday. Um, I think he, he actually showed me more than, than, uh, that's hopeful moving forward than I had seen in the past. See, um, he could be a guy that could do some damage for UNC in, in this offense, um, Howell was was absolutely having an off day for him. I think in the first game against uh, Virginia Tech, he threw for two hundred and three uh, yards and threw for two hundred and three yes, yards yesterday. And and thinking back on this, uh, Florida State scored better the Virginia Tech game, but this game yesterday reminded me more of the Virginia Tech game than uh, than the rest of them. But uh, so. How was having an off day? Uh, that's bad. And the ugly is the wide receiver play, uh, the way you were uh, pointing out. You, you've got to have somebody that is a more reliable target out there on the edge, someone that can complement Josh Downs. If Josh Downs had a uh, Diami Brown out there playing on wide receiver, he might have even more yards than he's already had this year. Or just uh, a Bo Corrales. A Bo Corrales. If he had somebody out there that could be a threat uh, you know, in the secondary uh, to catch the ball, uh, his numbers might be even better than what they are. And they're crazy insane anyway, as they are. Uh, but you know, Simmons had a drop um, as well. Uh, in fact, I think everybody had a drop. Um, and what surprises me a little bit is that we didn't see more of Kamari Morales, uh, yesterday, uh, he he's been sort of rounding into form as sort of the second option in, uh, in the receiving core, uh, he's, he's catching passes now. He I think four had four against Duke. Uh, four receptions and uh, like a high catch ratio. He think maybe targeted five times and caught four, something like that. Um, so, why they didn't go to Morales more yesterday, I'm not really sure. Um, particularly since I think he would have been a good conflict player based on what Florida State has at linebacker. Um, so, I'm not really sure why he wasn't more part of the game plan. The final thing I'll say about uh, the offense and a lot of people have commented on this and I think is appropriate to comment on it. I think it's a valid point there at the end of the game, or let's say even the entire fourth quarter, why North Carolina wasn't using more tempo, I don't understand that there should have been more tempo in use my opinion, uh,
0: it's not because just your opinion. They're down by three scores. You can't go on six-minute scoring drives. It doesn't matter if you score. I mean, that's not an opinion. That's just straight fact. Just- well,
2: you know, even you, you could see, even aside from that six-minute drive, when they had the ball, they were taking their time getting up to the line of scrimmage. You know? what in the
0: world was that?
2: Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> and and this is a an offense which has as its motto, "Don't blink." You know, uh they they, they obviously well, they weren't
0: blinking in fairness, they were just flat flat out sleeping.
2: The uh there I mean they know how to go fast, right? I mean, that's not like this is something they have never practiced, tempo. You know, they, they this know, offense how to,
0: know how to go fast? Have we seen it this year?
2: Uh I don't know about this offense, but Longo's offense, the one he puts on the field, generally knows how to go fast. Um, but where was that yesterday? You know, when you've got, uh, even at, you know, 10 minutes to go, you're still three scores down. Even at that point, you can't afford to be, you know, taking 10, 12, 15 seconds to snap the ball. Um, that just doesn't make sense. So that would be my good, bad, and ugly there. Um, they've got to find another receiver somehow, some way. Um, if they've got to pull Kobe Passeur or, um, Gavin Blackwell or you know, JJ Jones off the bench and, uh, say, Hey, just, Hey kid, go out there and see what you can do. Cause nobody else is doing anything. If you can do anything, that would be a step ahead for us. Uh, if I'm playing younger guys and I'm doing it based on accountability that the older guys aren't getting it done. Wide receiver, wide receiver position group would be the first place I'd look. I agree with that. There were there were several plays um, we can talk about
1: somehow not delivering the ball in the right spots or ha- being less accurate this year. There were a couple long balls that I thought should have been touchdowns that the receiver just did. Jason, what you talked about, stack the corners and all those type things is to to Henry make Simmons the play again. I know, and, and it's just uh, and speaking of Emory, six targets, one catch. For seven yards, I mean, if you've got a yard or more on your defensive back and the ball is in your catch radius, it needs to be caught. And there were multiple times yesterday um, where guys just sat and waited for the ball to come to them and allowed the Florida State defensive backs or whatever to make plays. Another thing that's uh, notable to me, at least, uh, Ty Chandler can catch the ball out of the backfield. How many targets did he get yesterday? Zero. Kamari Morales, one target, one touchdown, twenty-one yards. Jason, give me your good, bad, and ugly on the offense, um, and then we're going to talk. It's, we're going to end this show talking about what needs what needs to be done by the grownups at, <laughs> and dealt with the grownups here. But give me your offensive take, right fast.
0: Yeah. So, in terms of the good, I mean, I think you're. I, I would start where you did with with uh, DJ Jones, who I thought. Played as I thought he played as well as anybody on the offense. Um, I thought Ty Chandler played well as well. I mean, they got what they got good overall performance from the backs. I just think they underused the backs, but we'll get to that in a moment when we get to the to the bad. Um, You know, I Howell's legs, his ability to continue to run the ball. Now, Florida State obviously came in their their defensive plan was basically to to say we're going to take we're going to try to take away everything that's not sam howell running and if you can beat us with howell's legs then we'll tip our cap that was basically what they did and howell did what he did what he did i mean he, he his his legs uh you know went over 100 yards rushing again uh had a couple big plays you know ran the ball well now that's not enough but those would be the things that I would, uh, I would highlight along with, uh, you know, the wheel route to Morales was, was nice, but there's, there's not a whole lot else offensively that I look at and I say, good. I mean, I I thought the offense was disjointed. Um, I was getting texts uh, or messages from, uh, from former, former teammates at Florida state going what is North Carolina's game plan on offense? This is really disjointed. This is terrible. Like what, what, what's the deal with their offense, Wh- which, I mean, those guys have no dog in the fight on that side <laughs> and these guys, no ball. And that tells you kind of how, where that, where that stands, that the offense, and I'm just going to skip from bad to ugly here because I think the rest of it is ugly. Uh, that tells you sort of the way that, that things look right now. It's not clear to me what the plan is on offense, What are they trying to do? What are they trying to set up? Where are the strengths that they're trying to to leverage into other things?
1: My thought, and I don't mean to interrupt you, my thought at some point in the second half was like, are they trying to get Sam Howe killed?
0: Yeah, it sure looked looked like like. that. And, you know, I, I just wonder what the plan is there in terms of what you're trying to do. You know, we, we, we mentioned uh, Choffrey Brown, that, that key drop. I mean, he drops, drops that ball across the, across the middle. That's as ugly as you're going to see because he catches that ball with his speed. You had a safety fall down. That's an easy walk-in touchdown for him. And that's the third easy touchdown he's dropped this season. Now, I know there's fans that are going to basically be ready to give up on the guy. The thing that I see, and, you know, I played the position. This is a, this is a guy with the yips. He's a guy that can catch it. I mean, Buck, you and I, were, we were talking off air. We've seen this guy catch the football and make it look really easy in practice before. But right now, he has zero confidence as a pass catcher. When, it, when, when he goes out there, he's fighting the football with his hands, which is, a, which is the sign of a guy who is, when, when the ball's coming, he's thinking, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. Oh, it's that. And you cannot play receiver that way. You have to, you have receiver has to be an automatic thing. Catching a football while running at that speed in pads in the moment with a, you know, having just beaten a guy or, you know, having a guy claw at you or whatever, it's a really hard thing to do. And you have to do it automatically, which requires a certain level of confidence. You talk and about this
2: a little bit, and it's like the the guy that's missed like six or seven four foot putts in a row.
0: Yeah, it, you see that like he's he's made that putt ten thousand times in practice, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, he gets out there and it feels like he's holding a live snake in his hands as a putter, and you know he he takes that club back and you know all of a sudden he you know goes to come through and he know his body knows what to do, his mind knows what to do, and then all of a sudden <clears throat> the hand spats, it's just it's just not there, and you go well what 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 happened? Well, this is what's going on there. To me, the coaching mistake is if you want Choffrey Brown to be a, a part of your offense, which he needs to be, because they've got to have a guy that can go over the top. They've got to have a guy that can make big plays other than than, uh, than Josh Downs. To me, the paradox here is you have to actually get him involved in the game earlier with some short, easy catches. The more he can... So this is a guy, I guarantee you, he's making catches in practice, and is it's just frustrating right now in games of what is going on. What you have to do, and Jerry Rice talked about this, that if he didn't get a catch in the first or second quarter, it was harder to catch the football the rest of the game because just the rhythm of it is you're you're out of it and you start to get frustrated, you start to press, and you drop balls. That's the greatest of all time there that's talking about that. To me, the coaching mistake there is, and this is, again, like I said, it's the weird thing where a guy drops some some balls like this. You actually have to say, okay, we're going to put you out there in the first quarter, and we're going to run you out there for some hitch routes. We're going to run you out there for some, some of the easiest catches that, that, that can be made in this game where you're going to be uncovered. And it might be a two, three-yard game, but you're going to get the feeling of catching the football in a, in, the, in, a, in a game. And you're just going to get into that rhythm. Two or three catches in the first half, in the first quarter for him, and he doesn't drop those balls. That's number one for me. Because that, that, play, that play changes the game. You have one guy that starts to make those plays other than Josh Downs, and that changes the offense. But the other thing, and this is the ugliest thing to me in this game is the offensive line got abs, got their butts handed to them. They got their, they got their butts kicked in this game and it was, and it was ugly. And the thing is, it's not because you don't have talent. You look at Florida state's offensive line, they've struggled all year, mostly because of injury and North Carolina's had some injuries at the center position and, You know, they're they're obviously the inconsistency there is killer because and if you have problems at the center position, it affects the whole line. You know, you can help chip with a tackle or something, little things you can do to help your guards and your, and your, and your tackles. It's much harder to help, help a center. So that that's, that's a factor that is a a different situation, but I'm looking at the other guys and I'm looking at Florida state bullied the right side of the offensive line, which averages what 335 pounds being generous. Those guys got pushed around. That should not be happening to third-year starters who are 6'4", 6'5", 335", 300, 345 pounds. You should not be watching those guys get driven back in the run game. You should not be watching those guys consistently get a guy up under their pads who then gets leverage on him and, and moves them around. That should not be happening. But what I'm seeing on the de- uh, on the, on the offensive line right now is I'm seeing defensive lines consistently able to take advantage of the lack of, of fundamentals that are the same fundamental problems that this group had three years ago when they start, when they were first starters. And you looked at that and you said, well, okay, you know, he's a young guy. He's going to, you know, he's going to get this right eventually, but you got to get this fixed. Aside from Joshua Azudu, I see over and over and over and over again, young guys, or, or these, are, these are older guys, they're not young guys now. These are older guys that have the same bad habits that they had as freshmen and sophomores on the offensive line. And I, the reason I mentioned Florida State's offensive line and how they've had trouble in all this, one of the things that is really that was a really stark difference in this game is if you watch Florida State's offensive line, on one drive and then conveniently the next drive you get to see North Carolina's offensive line. So you got a good uh, contrast. North Carolina's group of players is more talented on the offensive line than Florida state's, but the fundamentals difference was stark. Florida state's offensive line consistently was fundamentally sound, which is one of the reasons why there was less leakage overall in, in, in terms of what they were able to do against a good defensive line. I mean, Carolina's got a good defensive line. And Carolina got some wins on the defensive line, partly because it got good players. But what you didn't see is just over and over again, fundamental issues on the Florida State offensive line cause problems for them. What you kept seeing with North Carolina is guys that... I'm not sure what they're being told. I'm not sure... This is something that comes back to what are you repping in practice? What are you allowing these guys to do every day in practice? Because these habits, and we've talked about this before. And I'm, you know, I know Mike Ingersoll and I've talked, we've had more harsh words to say when we've texted one another about this than what you know, you're typically going to say on air. But Ingersoll's been clear about this. I've been clear about this, but I think it needs to be made even more of of a of a discussion point. That it's the when it's the fundamentals that are the problem and not the not the talent that speaks to a larger a larger problem within the program. And over and over again, what we saw from Carolina in this game was fundamental issues on the offensive line getting beat because guys weren't doing the right thing the right way on the offensive line and that led to some problems for for Howell that that s- certainly has affected him mentally that's affected the way that he's that he's throwing it that's affected his decision making and i mean it was just really obvious in this game that that's that's sort of where the problems start and i you know i've been i've previously or in earlier games this year i've said you know Howell's at least as much to blame for not making those guys look better in this game i'm i'm putting a lot of that blame I'm saying the problem really does start on the offensive line with all of the problems that they showed in terms of just not doing the right thing, the right way. And FSU knew the the scouting report coming in, if you, if you run twist game, if you run, if you, if you move guys around on the defensive line, Carolina doesn't communicate well, they don't handle that well. They don't uh, they don't pass off. Players well, you're going to get free rushers and they got free rusher after free rusher after free rusher after free rusher against sam howell he he dropped back to pass and all of a sudden there's a guy coming who he doesn't have an offensive lineman actually touching him that that shouldn't be happening with the third year group that just should not be happening and it is happening and even when it wasn't when they're not passing guys off you're seeing guys that are playing high their hand position is terrible they're not moving their feet correctly. They're lunging. Uh, you know, you, you saw some things in the, in, the, in the run game. There was a one key uh, uh, tackle for loss on, on the goal line, on the goal line stop. Uh, it was, I think, two plays before the, uh, the, the pass out that, that failed on fourth down toward, uh, toward Josh Downs. The Florida State defensive tackle that got the tackle for loss there, he got into the backfield so quickly just because the, the guard just lunged. If he plays in balance there and shoots his hands correctly, that play is at least a game. But it's just the straight fundamental problem. I mean, it's high school stuff. High school stuff. Stuff that you get on a high school offensive lineman for those fundamentals that he just allowed himself to get blown right by because he shot his hands lunged and now you get a guy that runs right by him into the backfield and now you get a tackle for loss and now you're now you're behind it and you end up getting a goal line a goal line stand that basically seals the game right there North Carolina scores a touchdown there it's game on and why does it not happen because of flat out fundamentals on the offensive line
1: Now we're getting into – yeah, that's the ugly And Buck. Uh, uh, You know, a lot of people – I think a large majority of the angst and now the anger from the fan base is that uh, Carolina is wasting the most talented quarterback in history on this season for the school. But I think to Jason's point there, there's also been a massive waste of a very um, good and talented offensive line. That. yeah that three years ago we said if they stay together by 2021 it's going to be a special group and it's just not happened i think we know why buck but i'll let you chime in on that because i think the offensive lines issues are as much if not more wasteful than
2: Howell's production what's your take i'm gonna go um maybe a little bit different direction than, than Jason, um, there were some plays where obviously, you know, there could have been fundamentals at work that weren't, um, executed properly. But the the thing that surprised me that as a upperclassman, um, you know, guys, juniors, fifth-year seniors, um, they got caught doing uh, some obvious holding calls that were clearly – not every holding call is going to get called, right? I mean, you know, there's going to be holding on every play. Yeah, and Jordan some,
0: Tucker has been notorious for being, for being a bear hugger for years and hasn't typically gotten called. So, uh, it, yeah, like you said, it, it happens.
2: Right. But there are some holding calls that are probably going to get called every time where the guy's reaching out and yanking some guy in and the ball carriers right on his hip. Uh, you know, they're going to throw the flag on that every time. So it's, uh, not just fundamentally bad. It's not very bright. I could use other language. Right. But. Um, it's not very bright to do an obvious hold, pull a guy and, or maybe pancake him, and, and a running back is right on your hip and the referee is, you know, behind you. So those kinds of things, um, and the pre-snap penalties where, you know, got guys are, they're jumping off sides and, uh, you know, just, those kinds of things. If you're a fifth year senior and you're playing at home, right? I mean, th- this is not where you're playing in, uh, you know, happy Valley, you know, in front of a hundred thousand Penn state fans, screaming their heads up. You're playing at home and you, you just casually jump all sides. And they, they went from one, one play was like. Uh, one series they were second and one and before that series was over with they were in third and seven they went from second and one lost a yard or two then got called for uh illegal procedure they went from second and one to third and seven that's how you end up with more yardage than your opponent did total offensive yards and not as many points right? Cause you're not moving the change in that situation. Um, so those kinds of things, you know, probably I don't have the expertise to focus in on the little fundamental things that they're doing wrong and their pad level and their footwork and all of that. But what sends me through the roof is, you know, seeing a fifth year senior or fourth year junior, um, just really sabotaging an entire series of downs because they can't hold their water on the offensive line and not move before the ball snap balls right there. Wait for the ball to move. Then you move (laughs) accountability Uh, again. It's it's, it's pretty simple, right? You know, it's
0: really accountability again though. I mean, it's accountability and discipline at that point. And, and I'll, I'll add one more thing to what you said about the holding, The reason you hold in that case is because you're not moving your feet. When you're fundamentally in position, when you do things right, when you hold, it's not obvious that you're holding. You've got your hands in there, but your hand placement is right. And you're moving your feet enough that you're actually moving with the guy so that you're just driving him instead of having to reach and tug. And so these things are tied together. And again, it's a matter of accountability within the program and you know if i'm matt brown this week i have some very very sharp questions
2: yeah i'd have to go back and look i I know that most of the penalties were of two varieties one they were either pre-snap penalties on the offense i'm talking about they're either pre-snap penalties or or in some cases uh some of the penalties were uh post-snap bad behavior penalties you know uh, personal foul taunting that kind of crap um which also there should be some accountability for that i mean come on you know you just can't let guys do what they want to do on the football field and you know you start the next game like nothing happened um but i would say probably at least half of the 12 penalties half of the and I, I don't have the facts right here in front of me to verify that, but I would guess half of them were illegal procedure um, kinds of calls that, you know, that was shooting the, the offense, shooting itself in the foot, uh, which we can add to the ugly column uh, while we're in that mode. Yeah, and you while can't, we're on the, you while can't, the you can't have oh,
1: those. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to let you go, Jason, but you can't have the, the discipline penalties and the lack of accountability penalties you can't have them go ahead
0: jason while we're on the subject of false starts which i'm i'm right now searching through you got to remember there was one false start on josh downs
2: yeah yeah
0: right
1: you're, there in front of the official yeah,
0: yeah you as a receiver you should never have a false start cuz you're never you're you're not listening for the count receiver you're taught to go on ball movement regardless you're like a you're you're like a defender out there now downs has always been a guy who gets a quick jump off the snap i mean that that that's been obvious all year but like you can't have that it's even less excusable than it than at the offensive line spot cuz those guys are having to go on sound and and you know it's a little bit a little bit trickier but man i mean that again gets back to the the just overall general sloppiness and the crazy thing to me is how disinterested Carolina looked at times.
2: Yeah, that that was the point of my entire column today. Uh,
0: that, that how how is, do you look disinterested? How do you look disinterested against a team that upset you when you were in the top ten last year?
1: Yeah, that let's talk how, about that because I mean, we I, talked
0: I, about this in the in the in you know this is something we talked about, Tommy, you, me, and Greg in the uh, in the pregame of how much this should impact th- this team in terms of of coming back and getting revenge against the Florida State team that really knocked your season off the rails last year. And yeah, you know what, if you're Sam Howell, if you're those guys, that should matter a lot. And I, you know, I'm a guy who, as you know, as a, as a coach, I'm big on, you know, treat every week, the same, you know, you prepare hard, you prepare like it's a rival every week. But I also know that like, that's not really how that works (laughs) to some degree. And what just was staggering to me is how, It looked like this team was just going through the motions, how disinterested they looked in actually being out there and playing with the kind of effort and motivation that you would expect in any game, but especially against the team that embarrassed you last year. And this is this, I mean, it's not like you had a bunch of guys graduate and like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really getting embarrassed. They weren't the guys that got embarrassed. They were the guys that got embarrassed last year. And they came out and, to me, looked really disinterested. They looked like, you know, and, and, you know, I don't want to put too much of the blame here on, I don't want to, I don't want to look too closely at, at body language and some of those things because, you know, that can be dangerous uh, in terms of this because different guys have different styles on this of leadership and all of that. But, I mean, I think some of that has to go back to, to, to your team leader, to your quarterback. And, you know, I know Howell, you know, he's a low-key guy. He's a guy that, that he leads by example and, and does his thing. To me, that would make it that much more um, effective if you just saw at a certain point Howell just snap and start chewing guys out for not taking care of their business and holding guys accountable. And I, we're not seeing that, but I mean, this is where, you know, Howell has at, at a certain point when, when the same lineman, when the same combination of linemen missed the same stunt for the third time in a row, at a certain point, Howell needs to stand up, grab a face mask or two and chew those guys out and say, do your dang job. He has to look interested. He has to look like he's actually wanting to be out there and wanting to fight and and refusing to tolerate inadequate play. And this is where leadership has to happen from the players. You you can't, you know, as coaches, you can only do so much on that. You have to have your your leaders as players not tolerate their teammates not doing their jobs. And I'm seeing a lot of upperclassmen who – are not playing with the fire that you would expect on that, and they seem to be tolerating some of the other guys not playing with the same level of of expectation and accountability. And you know, I would, I I would be if I if I'm Phil Longo, if I'm uh, if I'm Mac Brown, I'm I'm pushing, I'm having a, a meeting individually with Howell this week, saying, look, son, you've got to start ripping into some guys. And doing this on the field, on the sideline. If we keep getting this around you, you've got to start showing some frustration, just to get them get light the fire under them. This will be good for them. You've got to do this. But it's, and again, it's not just Howell. I'm hesitant to to single him out there because I mean, of the guys on the offense, he actually played better than virtually everybody else. But I I just don't see how you have a team that came into the year with this kind of expectations that has not had a ton of injuries to to really derail that and is playing like they're just not the 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 level of intensity across the board and the level of accountability from player to player is not what you would expect and just looking disinterested against a Florida State team that 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 embarrassed you the prior year i just think is inexcusable from a program sense And they've got to find some leaders. They've got to find some guys who actually are going to hold their teammates accountable and and force them to play ball.
1: I 100% agree there, Buck. Last question for you, and then Jason, I'll follow with you for one. But what's next, Buck? Miami comes to town next week, 3.30, I guess it is. Uh, The season, uh, for the most part, for the preseason expectations is done there's still a little bit left to play for, but the season lies in the balance when Miami comes to town. What what's going on in Keenan football center this week? If you're Mac Brown, but I
2: have absolutely no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I have zero idea. I mean, you've got like 14 different or 14 is too small a number. Things that got to get fixed. Right. I mean, you, you, there's a lot there, uh, that you've got to get fixed. How do how do you do that? I don't know. Um, it's, it's just mind boggling to me that, you know, as Jason pointed out, and as you pointed out, Tommy 21 out of the 22 guys that played in the sun bowl are on this team and you shouldn't be in mid season with guys that are They're in their second year starting basically all of them and having to work on really minor details, you know, just these things should be second nature to 90% of this team, things that they're screwing up should come to them as second nature. Why Choffrey Brown? Maybe it has to do with his injury. Uh, I'm, if I had to guess, I'd say, that's it. Why is he having, uh, this, you know, whirlwind in his head every time the ball is thrown at him? Um, uh, I don't, how do you explain that? Maybe, you know, came from his injury, wasn't able to practice like he had been, but you know, certain things you should not have to be working on midseason with guys that have already started 16 games or 18 games. Um, uh, so what Mac Brown does, uh, probably pull his hair out. You know, uh, he he's got to definitely lean on his coaches. He's got to, and I'm certain these conversations are happening. Even as we're talking, he's talking to certain of his coaches and saying, Hey, look, this, this you know, it's kind of Fisher cut bait time. We either get this fixed or we're going to have to cut bait. So, um, you know, I, I think there's some hard conversations going on in the Keenan Football Center. I know Mac Brown does not want to have these conversations. And as far as making changes in the middle of a season, Mac Brown's not, no, not a stranger to that. Fired Manny Diaz after, what, the third or fourth game of a season one year when BYU ran for like 500 yards on, on Texas. So you never know what Mac's going to do. Um, and he's got a kind of, uh, you only live once attitude to this Mac 2.0, um, scenario at Chapel Hill anyway. So who knows what he might do, but Jason, it's got to start this week.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. I think it. Uh, I think even if it started this week, it's too late. Um, but Jason, you started to lean into the, the discussion, the sharp discussion comment. I wanted to let you flesh that one out before we get out of here.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I'm, if I'm Mac Brown, I'm having a, a very sharply worded and very, um, difficult discussion with a variety of members of my coaching staff at this point, uh, Actually, focus more on at this point on a, a couple position coaches than on coordinators. I know the, the, a lot of um, a lot of fans like to to point at, at coordinators and talk about play calling and different things like that. But you know, Buck, you're saying fish or cut bait time. On the offensive line, I'm not sure we're we're not past that in terms of, you know, the, the, the question, fish or cut bait. You're three years into to coaching talented guys, guys that, you know, actually have good size and strength and, you know, the capacity to, to, play, to play the game. And you've got a couple backups behind him that are, you know, former four and five star type guys. And you're getting the same mistakes three years in. I think you're past fish or cut bait time. You haven't been fishing. You haven't been catching, catching the fish. So you you have to look carefully at that and say, if you're not seeing fundamental improvement, if you're not seeing development at a position, when there actually is talent at that position, you have to look real carefully at at the process. And, you know, that's, that's a discussion that's going to have to be had. Um, You know, I think, there needs to be some discussion with the coordinators more about accountability and about holding their guys accountable than anything else. Um, You know, I do think that, and you know, we didn't talk too much about this. I mean, Tommy, you mentioned it uh, before, but we didn't talk too much about this again. What was the plan on offense? I mean, I could have told you what, what I would have done and I did tell you what I would do uh, against this Florida state defense and they didn't do any of it. My my plan is, look, they've got a good defensive line, probably going to give your offensive line trouble. So find ways to get Ty Chandler matched up against their backers who don't really cover that well. Find ways to get Kamari Morales against their backers who don't cover well, and you could see that on his touchdown. Find ways to get those matchups and go at those linebackers in coverage over and over and over again. Get the ball out and just win with those matchups. And you have how many catches did Morales have? One, one for a touchdown.
1: One and, target, uh, one
0: what, catch. What was the number of catches for Ty Chandler?
2: Zero, I think.
0: Zero.
1: Zero targets.
0: This is not this is not the Javante Williams, Michael Carter, North Carolina of last year. And they it seemed to me they came in with the same plan that they ran last year, thinking, well, you know, we had success against them, you know, last year, able to do these things once we got. Once we got on track, we're going to just do that. You got a different team. So that's something else. That's another hard discussion I'm having is, okay, look, we've got to figure out that we're not the same, that we can't just, we can't run the offense agnostic to the players we have. Got to start figuring out. You got to start calling, calling for players and figuring out which matchups you like and make sure you're putting those guys in those positions. And then defensively, it's just a matter of like, guys, defensive defensive staff, you've got to get guys actually on, on the same page and hold them accountable, or you guys are going to be held accountable in a different way. Those are the discussions he's going to have to have. Because at this point, if you're not seeing development, if you're not seeing guys getting better in years two, three, four under the same coaching staff, then there's something wrong with the process. And that's what Max there to assess. That's what his job is, and that's what he's going to have to be doing this week. Good stuff
1: from both of you guys. I mean, we didn't really talk about the game itself too terribly much and the goings on in it, but more to the process, like you mentioned there, Jason. I think uh, going into the Florida State game, Greg Barnes said, we'll find a lot about Carolina's character. And we saw what happened on the field yesterday. I think this week we will find a lot about what Mac Brown will allow to continue to happen. I think the, uh, the writing is on the wall. The, the imprints are in the concrete. There's ample evidence of the issues for this squad. I think this week and then after the Miami game, going into a bye week uh, things need to be addressed because you cannot keep doing what they're doing. Um, and expect different results i think they call that insanity this has been the game plan or excuse me the day after podcast i'll talk to jason staples again on the game plan later in the week as carolina plays miami buck sanders always a pleasure love talking to you hope to see you soon jason staples it's been fun we'll, we'll hit up this week inside carolina sponsored by johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com mm. rate review subscribe follow join the party We'll talk soon.
3: CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So so. So so. So so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after the equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount.